0: Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard Book Two The Hammer of Thor By Rick Riordan Chapter One Could you please stop killing my goat? Lesson learned If you want to take a Valkyrie out for coffee, you'll get stuck with a check and a dead body. I hadn't seen Samira Alabas in almost six weeks, so when she called out of the blue and said we needed to talk about a matter of life and death, I agreed right away. Technically, I'm already dead, which means the whole life and death thing didn't really apply, but still, Sam sounded anxious. She hadn't arrived yet when I'd gotten to the Thinking Cup on Newbury Street. The place was packed as usual, so I queued up for coffee. A few seconds later, Sam flew in. Literally, right over the heads of the cafe patrons. Nobody batted an eye. Regular mortals aren't good at processing magical stuff, which is fortunate because otherwise, Bostonians would spend most of their time running around in a panic from giants, trolls, ogres, and in hair yar with battle axes and latt- lattes. Sam landed next to me in her school uniform, white. School uniform, white sneakers, khaki slacks, and a long-sleeved navy shirt with the King Academy logo, a green hijab over her hair, an axe hung from her belt. I was pretty sure the axe wasn't standard dress code. As glad as I was to see her, I noted that the skin under her eyes was darker than usual. She was swaying on her feet. "'Hey,' I said. "'You look terrible.' "'Nice to see you too, Magnus.' No, I mean, not terrible, like different than normal terrible. Just terrible, like exhausted. Should I get you a shovel so that you can dig that hole a little deeper? I raised my hands in surrender. Where have you been the last month and a half? Her shoulders tightened. My workload this semester has been killing me. I'm tutoring kids after school. Then, as you might remember, there's my part-time job reaping souls of the dead and running top-secret missions for Odin. You kids today and your busy schedules. On top of all that, there's flight school. Flight school? We shoveled forward with the line. Like airplanes? I knew Sam's goal was to become a professional pilot someday, but I hadn't realized she was already taking lessons. You can do that at 16? Her eyes sparkled with excitement. My grandparents could never have afforded it, but the Fadlons have this friend who runs a flight school. They fly- finally convinced Jid and Bibi. Ah, I grinned. So the lessons were a gift from Amir. Sam blushed. She's the only teenager I know who has a bet- who has a betrothed, and it's cute how flustered she gets when she talks about Amir Fadlon. Those lessons were the most thoughtful, the most considerate, She sighed wistfully. But enough of that. I didn't bring you here to talk about my schedule. We have an informant to meet. An informant? This could be the break I've been waiting for. If his information is good... Sam's phone buzzed. She fished it out of her pocket, checked the screen, and cursed. I have to go. You just got here. Valkyrie business. Possibly code 381. Heroic death in process. In progress. You're making that up. I'm not. "'So, what? Somebody thinks they're about to die and they text you? "'Going down. Need Valkyrie ASAP!' "'Followed by a bunch of sad face emojis?' "'I seem to recall taking your soul to Valhalla. "'You didn't text me?' "'No, but I'm special.' "Go "'Go get a table outside,' she said. "'Meet my informant. I'll be back as soon as I can.' "'I don't even know what your informant looks like.' "'You'll recognize him when you see him,' Sam promised. "'Be brave.' Also, get me a scone. She flew out of the shop like super muslima, leaving me to pay for our order. I got two large coffees and two scones and found a table outside. Spring had arrived early in Boston. Patches of dirty snow still clung to the curbs like dental plaque, but the cherry trees popped with white and red buds. Flowery pastel clothing displays bloomed in the windows of high-end boutiques. Tourists strolled by enjoying the sunshine. Sitting outside, comfortable in my freshly laundered jeans, t-shirt, and denim jacket, I realized this would be the first spring in three years that I hadn't been homeless. Last March, I had been scrounging from dumpsters. I'd been sleeping under a bridge in the public garden, hanging out with my buddies, hearth, and blitz, avoiding the cops and just trying to stay alive. Then, two months ago, I died fighting a fire giant, I had woken up in the Hotel Valhalla as one of Odin's inherited warriors. Now I had clean clothes, I took a shower every day, I slept in a comfortable bed every night, I could sit at this cafe table, eating food I'd actually pay for, and not worry about when the staff would force me to move along. Since my rebirth, I'd gotten used to a lot of weird stuff. I traveled the nine. I traveled the nine worlds, meeting Norse gods, elves, dwarves, and a bunch of monsters with names I couldn't pronounce. I'd scored a magical sword that pres- presently hung around my neck in the form of a rune storm- of a rune stone pendant. I'd even man- I'd even had a mind melting conversation with my cousin Annabeth about the Greek gods, who hung out in New York and made her life difficult. Apparently, North America was lousy with, with ancient gods. We had a full-blown infestation. All of that I learned to accept. But being back in Boston on a nice spring day, hanging out like a regular mortal kid? That felt strange. I scanned the crowd of pedestrians, looking for Sam's informant. You'll recognize him when you see him, she'd promised. I wondered what kind of information this guy had, and why Sam considered it life and death. My gaze was fixed on a storefront at the end of the block. Over the doorway, the brass and silver sign still gleamed proudly. Blitzen's best, but the shop was shuttered. The front door window was papered over on the inside, with a message hastily scrawled in red marker. Closed for remodeling. Back soon. I'd been hoping to ask Samira about that. I had no idea why my old friend Blitz had abruptly disappeared. One day a few weeks ago, i just walked by the shop and found it closed. Since then, there'd been no word from Blitzen or Hearthstone, which, was like, which wasn't like them. Thinking about this made me so preoccupied, I almost didn't see our informant until he was right on top of me. But Sam was correct. He kind of stood out. It's not every day you see a goat in a trench coat. A pork pie hat was wedged between his curly horns, a, pack of s- a pair of sunglasses perched on his nose. His trench coat kept getting tangled in his back hooves. Despite his clever disguise, I recognized him. I'd killed and eaten this particular goat on another world, which is the sort of bonding experience you don't forget. Otis, I said. Shh. he said. I'm incognito. Call me Otis. I'm not sure that's how incognito works, but okay. Otis, A.K. Otis, climbed onto the, into the chair I'd reserved for Sam. He sat on his back haunches and put his front hooves on the table. Where is the Valkyrie? Is she incognito too? He peered at the nearest pastry bag as if Sam might Sam might be hiding inside. Samira had to go reap a soul. I said she'll be back soon. It must be nice having purpose for having a purpose in life. Otis sighed. Well, thank you for the food. That's not for. Otis snapped up Sam's scone bag and began to eat it, paper and all. At the next table next to us, an older couple glanced at my goat friend and smiled. Perhaps maybe their mortal senses perceived him as a cute child or a funny pet dog. So, I had a hard time watching Otis devour the pastry, spraying crumbs across the labels of his trench coat. You had something to tell us? Otis belched. It's about my master, Thor. Otis flinched. Yes, him. If I worked for the Thunder God, I too would have flinched when I heard Thor's name. Otis and his brother, Marvin, pulled the God's chariot. They also provided Thor with a never-ending supply of goat meat. Each night, Thor killed and ate them for dinner. Each morning, Thor resurrected them. This is why you should go to college, kids, so when you grow up, you do not have to take a job as a magical goat. I finally have a lead, Otis said, on that certain object my master is missing. You mean his ham? Don't say it aloud, Otis warned. But yes, his ham. I flashed back to January, when I'd first met the Thunder God. Good times around the campfire, listening to Thor fart, talk about his favorite TV shows, fart, complain about his missing hammer, which he used to kill giants and stream his favorite TV shows, and fart. It's still missing?" Otis clacked his front hooves on the tabletop. Well, not officially, of course. If the giants knew for certain that Thor was without his you-know-what, they would invade the mortal world, destroy everything, and send me into a very deep funk. But unofficially, yes. We've been searching for months with no luck. Thor's enemies are getting bolder. They sense weakness. I told my therapist it reminds me of when I was a kid and the goat pen and the bullies were sizing me up. Otis got a faraway look in his yellow slit poop pupil eyes. I think that's when my traumatic stress started. This was my cue to spend the next several hours talking to Otis about his feeling. Being a terrible person, I just said, I feel your pain, and moved on. Otis, I said, the last time we saw you, we found Thor a nice iron staff to use as a backup weapon." He's not exactly defenseless. No, but the staff is not as good as the ham. It does inspire the same fear in the giants. Also, Thor gets cranky trying to watch his shows on the staff. The screen is tiny, and the resolution is terrible. I don't like it when Thor is cranky. It makes it hard for me to find my happy space. A lot of this did not make sense, why Thor would have so much trouble locating his own hammer, how he could possibly have kept kept its loss a secret from the giants for so long, and the idea that Otis the Goat would have a happy space. So Thor wants our help, I guessed. Not officially. Of course not. We'll all have to wear trench coats and glasses. That's an excellent idea, Otis said. Anyway, I told the Valkyrie I would keep her updated since she is in charge of charge of Odin's, you know, special missions. This is the first good lead I've gotten to the location of the certain object. My source is reliable. He's another goat who goes to the same psychiatrist. He overheard some talk in his a barnyard. You want us to track down a lead based on barnyard gossip you heard in your psychiatrist's waiting room? That would be great. Otis leaned so far forward I was afraid he might fall out of his chair but you're going to have to be careful it took all my effort not to laugh i'd played catch with the lava ball with i'd played catch the lava ball with fire giants i'd eagle skied over the rooftops of boston i'd pulled the world serpent out of massachusetts bay and defeated fenris wolf with a ball of yarn now this goat was telling me to be careful so where is the ham i asked jotunheim nifl Niflheim, Thorfartheim, You're teasing. Otis's sunglasses slipped sideways on his snout. But the ham is in different, is in a different dangerous location. It's in Provincetown. Provincetown, I repeated, on the tip of Cape Cod. I had vague memories of the place. My mom had taken me there for a weekend one summer when I was about 8. I remembered beaches, saltwater taffy, lobster walls, and a bunch of art galleries. The most dangerous thing we'd encountered was a seagull with an irritable, with irritable bowel syndrome. Otis lowered his voice. There is a barrow in Provincetown, a white sparrow. Is that like a wheelbarrow? No, no, a white. Otis shuddered well, a white is a powerful, undead creature that likes to collect magical weapons. A white's tomb is called a uh, a barrow. Sorry, I have a hard time talking about whites. They remind me of my father. That raised another batch of questions about Otis's childhood, but, aside- but I decided to leave that for them and decided to leave them for his therapist. Are there a lot of layers? Of undead Vikings in Provincetown, I asked only one as far as I know, but that's enough. If the certain object is there, it will be your difficult it will be difficult to retrieve underground and guarded by powerful magic. You'll need your friends, the dwarf and the elf. That would have been great if I had any idea who, where those friends were. I hoped Sam knew more than I did. Why doesn't Thor go and check the barrow himself, I asked. Wait, let me guess, he doesn't want to draw attention, or he wants us to have a chance to be heroes, or it's hard work and he has some shows to catch up on. To be fair, Otis said, the new season of Jessica Jones did just start streaming. It's not the goat's fault, fault, I told myself. He does not deserve to be punched. Fine, I said. When Sam gets here, we'll talk strategy. I'm not sure I should wait with you, Otis looked to crumb off his lapel. I should have mentioned this earlier, but you see, someone, or something, has been stalking me. The hairs on my neck tingled. You think they followed you here? I'm not sure, Otis said. Hopefully my disguise threw them off. Oh, great, I thought. I scanned the streets. I I stand. I scanned the street, but saw no obvious lurkers. Did you get a good look at this? Someone slash something. No, Otis admitted. But Thor has all sorts of enemies who would want to stop us from getting his, his ham back. They would warn me not to start. They would want me not want me sharing information with you, especially this last part. You have to warn Samira that funk. "'Living in Valhalla, I was used to deadly weapons flying out of nowhere, "'but I was still surprised when an axe sprouted from Otis's furry chest. "'I I lunged across the table to help him, "'as the son of Frey, god of fertility and health. "'I can do some pretty awesome first-aid magic given enough time, "'but as soon as I touched Otis, I sensed that it was too late. "'The axe had pierced his heart.' "'Oh, dear,' Otis coughed blood. <clears throat> I'll just die now. His head lolled backwards. His pork pie hat rolled across the pavement. The lady sitting behind us screamed as if just now noticing that Otis was not a cute puppy dog. He was, in fact, a dead goat. I scanned the rooftops across the street. Judging from the angle of the axe, it must have been thrown from somewhere up there. Yes, I caught a flicker of movement just as the attacker ducked out of sight. A figure in black wearing some sort of metal helmet. So much for a leisurely cup of coffee. I yanked the magical pendant from my neck chain and raced after the goat assassin. Chapter 2 Your Standard Rooftop Chase Scene with Talking Swords and Ninjas. I should introduce my sword. Jack, these are the peeps. Peeps, this is Jack. His real name is Sumerbrander, the Sword of Summer, but Jack prefers Jack because reasons. When Jack feels like snoozing, which is most of the time, he hangs out on a chain around my neck in the form of a pendant marked with Feu The Rune of Frey. When I need his help, he turns into a sword and kills things. Sometimes when he does this while I wield him other sometimes he does this while I wield him. Other times he does this while this while flying around on his own and singing annoying pop songs. He's magical that way. As I bounded across Newbury Street, Jack sprang to full form in my hand, his blade 30 inches of double-edged bone forged steel, which was emblazoned with runes that pulsed in different colors when Jack talked. What's going on? He asked. Who are we killing? Jack claims he doesn't pay attention to my conversations when he's in pendant form, "'He says he usually has its headphones on. "'I don't believe this, because Jack doesn't have headphones. "'Or ears.' "'Chasing assassin,' I blurted out. "'Dodging a taxi. Killed goat.' "'Right,' Jack said. "'Same old, same old, then.' "'I leaped up the side of the per- Pearson Publishing Building. "'I'd spent the last two months learning to use my hairy powers, "'so one j- jump took me to a ledge three stories above the main entrance.' no problem, even with a sword in one hand. Then I hop-climbed from window ledge to cornice up the white marble facade, was channeling my inner hulk until I reached the top. On the far side of the roof, a dark bipedal shape bipedal shape was just disappearing behind a row of chimneys. The goat killer looked human-eyed, which ruled out goat-on-goat homicide, but I'd seen enough of the nine worlds to know that a human A humanoid didn't mean human. He could be an elf, a dwarf, a small giant, or even an axe-murderer god. Please not an axe-murderer god. By the time I reached the chimneys, my quarry had jumped up to the roof of the next building. That might not sound impressive, but the next building was a brownstone mansion about 50 feet away across a small parking lot. The goat killer didn't even have the decency to break his ankles on impact. He somersaulted on the tar and came up running. Then he leaped back across Newbury Street and landed on the steeple of the Church of the Covenant. I hate this guy, I said. How do you know it's a guy? Jack asked. The sword had a point. Sorry, I keep stumbling into that pun. The goat killer's loose black clothes and metal war helmet made it impossible to guess his or her gender, but I decided to keep thinking of him as male for now. Not sure why. I guess I found the idea of a bro-goat assassin more annoying. I backed up, took a running start, and leaped toward the church. I'd love to tell you I'd landed on the steeple, slapped some handcuffs on the killer, and announced, you're going away for livestock murder. Instead, well, the Church of Covenant has these beautiful stained glass windows made by Tiffany in the 1890s. On the left side of the sanctuary, one window has a big crack at the top. My bad i hit the church's slanted roof and slid back grabbing the gutter with my right hand spikes of pain shot up my fingernails i dangled from the edge my legs flailing kicking the beautiful stained glass window right in the baby jesus i hit the church's slanted roof and slid back grabbing the gutter with my right hand On the bright side, swinging precariously from the roof saved my life. Just as I twisted, an axe hurtled from above, slicing the buttons off my denim jacket. A centimeter closer and it would have opened up my chest. Hey! I yelled. I tend to complain when people try to kill me. Sure, in Valhalla, we and Harry are, are constantly killing each other, and we get resurrected in time for dinner. But outside Valhalla, I was very much killable. If I died in Boston, I would not be getting a cosmic do-over. The goat assassin peered down at me from the peak of the roof. Thank the gods, he appeared to be out of throwing axes. Unfortunately, he still had a sword at his side. His leggings and tunic were stitched from black fur. A a soot-smeared chain-mail coat hung loosely on his chest. His black iron helmet had a chain-mail curtain around the base what we vic- in the viking viz is called an aventale an eventail, completely covering his neck and throat. His features were obscured by a faceplate fashioned to resemble a snarling wolf. Of course a wolf. Everybody in the nine worlds loves wolves. They have wolf shields, wolf helmets, wolf screenscavers, wolf pajamas, and wolf-themed birthday parties. Me, not so much loving the wolves. Take a hint magnus chase the assassin's voice was warbled modulating from soprano to baritone as if going through a special effects machine stay away from provincetown the fingers of my left hand tightened on the hilt of my sword jack do your thing you sure about that jack asked the assassin hissed for some reason people are often shocked when they found out my sword can talk when I find out, my sword can talk. I mean, Jack continued, I know this guy killed Otis, but everybody kills Otis. Getting killed is part of Otis's job description. Just chop off his head or something, I yelled. Get him, I told Jack. Why do I have to do all the hard work, Jack complained. Because I'm dangling here and you can't be killed. Just because you're right doesn't make this cool. I flung him overhead. Jack spiraled out of view, flying after the goat killer while singing his own version of Shake It Off. I have never been able to convince him that the line isn't She's grater's gonna grate, 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 grate. Even with my left hand free, it took me a few seconds to haul myself up to the roof. Somewhere to the north, the clanging of blades echoed off the brick buildings. I raced in that direction, leaping over the church's turrets, launching myself across Berkeley Street. I bounced from rooftop to rooftop until I heard Jack yell in the distance, Ow! Most people might not run into battle to check on the welfare of their swords, but that's what I did. At the corner of Boylston... I scrambled up the side of a parking garage, got to the roof level, and found Jack fighting for his, well, maybe not his life, but at least his dignity. Jack often bragged that he was the sharpest blade in the nine worlds. He could cut through anything and fight a dozen enemies at once. I tended to believe him, since I'd personally seen him take out giants the size of skyscrapers. Yet the goat killer was having no trouble forcing him back across the roof. The assassin might have been small, but he was strong and quick. His dark iron sword sparkled against Jack. Every time the two blades connected, Jack yelped, "'Ow! Ow!' I didn't know if Jack was in real danger, but I had to help. Since I didn't have another weapon and I didn't feel like fighting empty-handed, I ran to the nearest lamp post and ripped it out of the cement. That sounds like I was showing off. Honestly, I wasn't. The pole was just the handiest weapon-like object I could find except for a parked Lexus, and I wasn't quite strong enough to wield a luxury automobile. I charged the Goat Killer with my twenty-foot-long, jousting light fixture. That got his attention. As he turned toward me, Jack lashed out, opening a deep cut in the assassin's thigh. The Goat Killer grunted and stumbled. That was my chance. I could have taken him down. Instead, when I was ten feet away, a distant howl cut through the air and it froze me in my tracks. Cheese, Magnus, you're thinking, it was only a distant howl, what's the big deal? I may have mentioned I don't like wolves. When I was fourteen, two of them with glowing blue eyes killed my mother. My recent encounter with Fenris hadn't done anything to increase my appreciation for the species. This particular howl was definitely that of a wolf. It came from somewhere across Boston Common, reverberating off the high-rises turning my blood to Freyon. It was exactly the same sound I'd heard the night of my mother's death, hungry and triumphant, the baying of a monster that had found its prey. The lamppost slipped from my grip, clanging against the asphalt. Jack floated to my side. Uh, senor, are we still fighting this guy, or what? The assassin staggered backward. The black fur of his leggings glistened with blood. And so it begins... His voice sounded even more garbled. Beware, Magnus. If you go to Provincetown, you will play into your enemy's hands. I started. I stared at that snarling face mask. I felt like I was 14 again, alone in the alley behind my apartment the night my mother died. I remembered glazing up the fire escape from which I had just dropped, hearing the wolves howl from our living room, then flames exploded from the windows. Who? "'Who are you?' I managed. "'The assassin let out a guttural laugh. "'Wrong question. The right question. "'Are you prepared to lose your friends? "'If not, you should leave Thor's hammer lost.' "'He backed to the edge of the roof and toppled over. "'I ran to the ledge just as a flock of pigeons surged for- ra- upward, "'rising in a blue-gray cloud, "'swirling away over the back bay's forest of chimneys. "'Down below?' No movement. No body. No sign of the assassin. Jack hovered next to me. I could have taken him. You just caught me unprepared. I didn't have time to do my stretches. Swords don't stretch, I said. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Expert on Proper Warm-Up Techniques. A tuft of pigeon-down helicoptered to the ledge and stuck in a smear of the assassin's blood. I picked up the tiny feather and watched the red liquid soak into it. "'So what now?' Jack asked. "'And what was that wolf howl?' Ice water trickled down my stashian tubes, leaving a cold, bitter taste in my mouth. "'I don't know,' I said. "'Whatever it was, it stopped now. "'Should we go check it out?' "'No. I mean, by the time we figured out where the sound came from, "'we'd be too late to do anything about it.' Besides, I studied the bloody pigeon feather. I wondered how the goat killer had disappeared so effectively, and what he knew about Thor's missing hammer. He diso- his distorted, his distorted voice reverberated in my mind. Are you prepared to lose your friends? Something about the assassin had seemed very wrong, yet very familiar. We have to get back to Sam. I grabbed Jack's hilt and exhaustion washed over me. The downside of having a sword who fights on his own. Whatever Jack did, I paid the price as soon as he returned to my hand. I felt bruises spreading across my arms. One for each time Jack had been struck by the other sword. My legs trembled like they'd been doing lunges all morning. A lump of emotion formed in my throat. Jack's shame for letting the goat killer fight him to a standstill. Hey, man, I told him, at least you cut him. That's more than I did. Yeah, well, Jack sounded embarrassed. I knew he didn't like sharing the bad stuff with me. Maybe you should rest for a minute, senor. You're in no shape. I'm all right, I said. Thanks, Jack. You did good. I willed him to return to pendant form, then reattached the runestone to my neck chain. Jack was right about one thing. I needed rest. I felt like crawling inside that nice Lexus and taking a nap. But if the goat assassin decided to double back to the Thinking Cup, if he caught Sam unaware, I took across, I took off across the rooftops, hoping I wasn't too late. Chapter Three: My friends protect me by telling me absolutely nothing. Thanks, friends. Back at the cafe, Sam was standing over Otis's body. Customers walked in and out of the thinking cup, making a wide arc around the dead goat. They didn't seem alarmed. Maybe they saw Otis as a passed-out homeless guy. Some of my best friends were passed-out homeless guys. I knew how well they could repel a crowd. Sam frowned at me. Under her left eye was a new orange bruise. Why is our informant dead? Long story, I said. Who hit you? Also a long story. Sam. She waved aside my concern. I'm fine. Just please tell me you didn't kill Otis because he ate my scone. No. Now if he'd eaten my scone. Ha ha. What happened? I was still worried about Sam's eye, but I did my best to explain about the goat killer. Meanwhile, Otis's form began to dissolve, melting into curls of white vapor like dry ice. Soon there was nothing left but the trench coat, the glasses, the pork pie hat, and the axe that had killed him. Sam picked up the assassin's weapon. The blade was no larger than a smartphone, but the edge looked sharp. The dark metal was etched with soot-black runes. Giant forged iron, Sam said. Enchanted, perfectly weighted, this is a valuable weapon to leave behind. That's nice. i hate for Otis to be killed with a shoddy weapon. Sam ignored me. She'd gotten pretty good at that. You say the killer wore a wolf helm, which narrows it down to half the baddies in the nine worlds. I gestured at Otis's empty coat. Where did his body go? Otis, he'll be fine. Magic creatures f- form from the mist of Ginagwap. When they die, their bodies eventually dissolve back into that mist. Otis should reform somewhere close to his master hopefully in time for Thor to kill him again for dinner. That struck me as a strange thing to hope for, but not any stranger than that, than the morning I'd just had. Before my knees could buckle, I sat. I sipped my now-cold coffee. The goat killer knew the hammer is missing, I said. He told me if I went to Provincetown, we'd be playing into our enemy's hands. You don't think he meant... Loki? Sam sat across from me. She tossed the axe on the table. I'm sure he's involved in this somehow. He always is. I couldn't blame her for sounding bitter. Sam didn't like talking about the god of deceit and trickery. Aside from the fact he was evil, he was also her dad. You heard from him recently? I asked. Just a few dreams. Sam rotated her coffee cup this way and that, like the dial of of a safe. Whispers, warnings... He's been mostly interested in... Never mind. Nothing. (laughs) That doesn't sound like nothing. Sam's gaze was intense and full of heat, like logs in a fireplace just before they ignite. My dad is trying to wreck my personal life, she said. That's nothing new. He wants to keep me distracted. My grandparents, Amir... Her voice caught. It's nothing I can't handle. It doesn't have anything to do with our hammer problem. You sure? Her expression told me to back off. In times past, if I pressed her too far, she would slam me against a wall and put her arm across my throat. The fact that she hadn't yet choked me and con- the fact that she hadn't yet choked me unconscious was a sign of our deepening friendship. Anyway, Sam said, Loki couldn't be your goat killer. He couldn't wield an axe like that. Why not? I mean, I know he's technically chained up in Asgardian Supermax for murder or whatever, but he doesn't seem to have any problems showing up in my face whenever he feels like it. My father can project his image or appear in a dream, Sam said. With extreme concentration, for a limited time, he can even send out enough of his power to take on a physical form, like when he dated her mom. Sam again demonstrated... Sam again demonstrated her affection for me by not clubbing my brains out. We were having a friendship fest here at the Thinking Cup. "'Yes,' she said. "'He can get around his imprisonment in those ways, "'but he can't manifest solidly enough to wield magic weapons. "'The gods made sure of that when they put a spell on his bindings. "'If he could pick up an enchanted blade, he could eventually free himself. "'I suppose that makes sense in a nonsensical Norse myth kind of way.' I was. I pictured Loki lying spread-eagle in some cave, his hands and feet tied with bonds made from... Ugh, I could hardly think about it. The intestines of his own murdered sons. The gods had arranged that. They'd also supposedly set a snake over Loki's head to drip venom in his face for all eternity. Asgardian justice wasn't big on Marcy. The goat killer could still be working for Loki, I said. He could be a giant. He could be... He could be anyone, Sam said. The way you describe him, how he fought and moved, he sounds like an Inheri, perhaps even a Valkyrie. My stomach dropped. I imagined it rolling across the pavement and coming to a rest next to Otis's pork pie hat. Somebody from Valhalla. Why would anyone... I don't know, Sam said. Whoever it is, he or she doesn't want us following this lead on Thor's hammer. "'But I see that we don't have any choice. "'We need to act quickly.' "'Why the rush?' I asked. "'The hammer's been missing for months. "'The giants haven't attacked yet.' "'Something in Sam's eyes reminded me of Ren, "'the sea goddess's nets. "'The way they swirled in the waves, "'stirring up drowned spirits. "'It wasn't a happy memory. "'Magnus,' she said. "'Events are accelerating.' my last few missions into into Jotunheim, the giants are restless. They've summoned huge clamors to hide whatever it is they're up to. But I'm pretty sure whole armies are on the move. They're preparing to invade. Invade where? The breeze made her hijab flutter around her face. Here, Magnus. And if they come to destroy Midgard, despite the warm sunlight, a chill settled over me. Sam had explained how Boston sat at the next of Yggdrasil, Yggdrasil, the world tree. It was the easiest place to pass between the nine worlds. I imagined the shadows of giants falling over Newbury Street, the ground shaking under iron-shoed boots the size of panzer tanks. "'The only thing holding them back,' Sam said, "'is their fear of Thor.' "'That's been true for centuries,' "'They won't launch a full-scale invasion unless they're absolutely sure he is vulnerable. "'But they're getting bolder. "'They're starting to suspect the time might be right. "'Thor's only one god,' I said. "'What about Odin? Or Tyr? Or my dad, Frey? "'Can't they fight giants?' "'As soon as I said it, the idea felt sounded ridiculous. "'Odin was unpredictable. "'When he showed up, he was more inter- interested in giving motivational PowerPoint presentations than fighting.' I'd never met Tyr, the god of bravery and personal combat. As for Frey, my dad was the god of summer and fertility. If you wanted flowers to bloom, crops to grow, or a paper cut to heal, or a paper cut to heal, he was your guy. Scaring away the hordes of Jotunheim? Maybe not. We have to stop the invasion before it happens, Sam said, which means finding the hammer Mjolnir. You're sure, Otis said, Provincetown? Yeah, a White's Barrow. That's bad. On a scale of one to ten, it's up there in the high twenties. We'll need Hearthstone and Blitzen. Despite the circumstances, the possibility of seeing my old buddies lifted my spirits. You know where they are? Sam hesitated. I know how to get in contact. They've been hiding in one of Mimir's safe houses. I tried to process that. Mimir the disembodied god's head who traded drinks from the well of knowledge for years of servitude, who had ordered Blitz and Hearth to keep an eye on me while I was homeless because I was important to the fate of the worlds, who ran an interworld pachinko racket and other shady enterprises. Mamir had a collection of safe houses. I wondered what he was charging my friends for rent. Why are Blitz and Hearth in hiding? I should let them explain, Sam said. They didn't want to worry you. That was so not funny. I laughed. They disappeared without a word because they didn't want to worry me. Look, Magnus, you needed time to train, to settle into Valhalla and get used to your inherited powers. Hearthstone and Blitzen just got a bad omen in the runes. They've been taking precautions, staying out of sight. For this quest, though... "'A bad omen. Sam. The assassin said I should be prepared to lose my friends.' "'I know!' She picked up her coffee. Her fingers trembled. "'We'll be careful, Magnus. But for a White's tomb, rune magic and underground skills can make all the difference. "'We'll need hearth and blitz. I'll contact them this afternoon. Then, I promise, I'll fill you in on everything. "'There's more?' suddenly i felt like i'd been sitting at the thanksgiving kitty table for the past six weeks i'd missed out on all the important conversation among the adults i didn't like the kitty table sam you don't need to protect me i said i'm already dead i'm a freaking warrior of odin who lives in valhalla let me help you will she promised but you needed training time magnus when we went after the sword of summer we got lucky For what comes next, you'll need all your skill." The current of fear in her voice made me shiver. I hadn't considered us lucky when we retrieved the Sword of Summer. We'd come close to dying multiple times. Three of our comrades had sacrificed their lives. We'd barely managed to stop Fenris Wolf and a host of fire giants from ravaging the Nine Worlds. If that was lucky, I did not want to see unlucky. Sam reached across the table. She took my cranberry and orange scone and nibbled off the edge. The icing was the same color as her bruised eye. I should get back to school. I can't miss another AP physics class. This afternoon I have some fires to put out at home. I remembered what she'd said about Loki trying to mess up her personal life and and that little hitch of doubt when she'd said Amir's name. Anything I can help with? "'Maybe I can stop by Fadlan's falafel and talk to Amir?' "'No!' her cheeks flushed. "'No, thank you, but definitely not, no.' "'So that's a no, then?' Magnus, I know you mean well. "'There's a lot of my plate, but I can handle it. "'I'll see you tonight at the feast for the...' "'Her expression soured. "'You know, the newcomer.' "'She meant the soul she had gone to reap.' As the responsible Valkyrie, Sam would have to be there at the nightly feast to introduce the newest and hairy. I studied the bruise under her eye, and something dawned on me. This soul you picked up, I said. This new and hairy you punched you? Sam scowled. It's complicated. I'd met some violent and hairy are, but never one who would dare punch a Valkyrie. That was suicidal behavior, even for someone who is already dead. What kind of idiot? Wait, did this have anything to do with that wolf howl I heard from across the common? Sam's dark brown eyes smoldered, right on the edge of combustion. You'll hear about it tonight. She rose and picked up the assassin's axe. Now go back to Valhalla. Tonight you'll have the pleasure of meeting... She paused, considering her words. My brother... Chapter 4. A Cheetah Runs Me Over When choosing an afterlife, it's important to consider location. Suburban afterlives, as in Folkvanger and Niflheim, may offer lower costs of not living, but Valhalla's Midgard entrance is right in the heart of the city, on Beacon Street, across from the Boston Common. You'll be within easy walking distance of the best shops and restaurants and less than a minute from the parking street tea station yes valhalla for all your viking paradise needs okay sorry i told hotel management i'd put in a plug but it was pretty easy getting back home after buying a bag of chocolate esp- covered esp- espresso beans at the coffee shop i made my way through the public garden Passing my old camping spot under the footbridge, a couple of grizzled dudes sat in a nest of sleeping bags, sharing a garbage sharing garbage bin leftovers with a little rat terrier. Hey guys! I handed them Otis's trench coat and hat, along with all the mortal money I had on me, about twenty-four bucks. Have a good day. The guys were st- too startled to respond. I kept walking, feeling like I had an axe sticking out of my sternum. Just because I'd been killed by a fire giant two months ago, I got to live in luxury. Meanwhile, these guys and their terrier ate from garbage bins. It wasn't fair. I wished I could just round up every homeless person in Boston and say, Hey, there's a big mansion right over there with thousands of comfy sweets and free food forever. Follow me. But that wouldn't work. You couldn't bring mortals into Valhalla. You couldn't even die on purpose to get in. Your death had to be an unplanned, selfless act, and you had to hope there was a Valkyrie around to see it. Of course, that still made Valhalla better than the high-rise condos sprouting up all around downtown. Most of them were full of empty luxury apartments, too, shining fourth or fifth homes for billionaires. You didn't need a brave death to get in, just a lot of money. If the Giants did invade Boston, maybe I can convince them to do some strategic condo stomping. Finally, I reached the Midgard facade of Hotel Valhalla. From the outside, it looked like an eight-story mansion of white and gray stone. Just another piece of super expensive real estate and a row of colonial townhouses. The only difference, the hotel's front garden was completely enclosed by a 15-foot tall limestone wall with no entryway. The first of many defenses to keep Nan and Harriar from trespassing. I jumped straight over in- and into the grove of Glacier. A couple of Valkyries hovered in the branches of the white birch tree, collecting its 24-karat gold foliage. They waved to me, but I didn't stop to chat. I marched up the front steps and pushed open the heavy double doors. In the cathedral-sized lobby, the usual scene was going on. In front of the roaring fireplace, Teenage and Harry hung out playing board games and were just chillaxing. Which is chilling, except with battle axes. Other and Harry are in fuzzy green hotel bathrobes, chased each other around the rough, rough roughened pillars that lined the wall, the hall, playing hide and seek and kill. Their laughter echoed off the ceiling high above, where the rafters gleamed with points of thousands of bundled spears. I glanced over at the reception desk. Wondering if Sam's mysterious, eye-punching brother might be checking in. The only person there was the manager, Helgi. Glowering at his computer screen, one sleeve of his green suit had been ripped off. Chunks of his epic-sized beard had been pulled out. His hair looked even more like a dead buzzard than usual. "'Don't go over there,' warned a familiar voice. Hunding the bellhop slided up next to me, his warty red face covered with fresh scratches. His beard, like Helgi's, looked like it had recently been caught in a chicken-plucking machine. "'Boss is in a foul mood,' he said. "'Like you with a stick foul mood.' "'You don't look so happy yourself,' I noted. "'What happened?' Hunding's beard quivered with anger. "'I knew guest happened. "'Samira's brother?' <laughs> if you want to call him that. I don't know what Samir was thinking bringing that monster to Valhalla. Monster? I had a flashback to X, the half-troll Samira had once admitted to Valhalla. She'd gone flack for that too, though X had later turned out to be Odin in disguise. Long story. You mean this newcomer is an actual monster, like Fenris, or... Worse, if you ask me. Hunding brushed a tuft of whiskers off his uniform name tag. Cursed Arger nearly tore my face off when he saw his accommodations, not to mention the complete lack of a proper tip. Bellhop, the manager shouted from the reception desk. Stop fraternizing and get over here. You have dragon teeth to floss. I looked at Hunding. He makes you floss the dragon's teeth? Hunding sighed. Takes forever, too. I gotta go. Hey, man. I handed him the bag of chocolate-covered espresso beans I'd bought at the thinking cup. Hang in there. The old viking's eyes turned misty. Magnus Chase, you're a fine lad. I could hug you to death. Bella! Helgi shouted again. All right, hold your eight-legged horses. Hunding scurried toward the front desk, which spared me from a hug to the death. As low as I felt, at least I didn't have Hunding's job. The poor guy had reached Valhalla only to be first forced into servitude by Helgi, his arch-enemy from mortal life. I figured he deserved some chocolate now and then. Also, his friendship had already proven invaluable to me several times. Hunding knew his way around the hotel better than anybody, and he had all the juicy gossip. I headed for the elevators, wondering what an arger was, and why Sam would bring one into Valhalla. Mostly, I wondered if I had time for lunch and a nap before this afternoon's battle. It was important to be well-fed and well-rested when dying in combat. In the corridors, a few in Harriar gave me sidelong glances. Most ignored me. Sure, I'd retrieved the Sword of Summer and defeated Fenris Wolf, but the majority of my fellow warriors just saw me as the kid who'd gotten three Valkyries killed and almost started Ragnarok. The fact that I was a son of Frey, the Veneer Summer God, didn't help. His offspring weren't usually found in Valhalla. I wasn't cool enough to hang with the popular crowd, the children of war gods like Thor, Tyr, and Odin. Yes, Valhalla had cliques just like high school, and while high school seemed to last for eternity, Valhalla actually did. The un- only Hairyar who truly accepted me were my hallmates on floor nineteen, and I was anxious to get back to them. In the elevator, the Viking easy listening music did not help my lo- mood. Questions swam around in my brain: Who had killed Otis? What did the goat wanted to warn me about? Who was Sam's brother? What were Blitz and Hearth hiding from, and who in their right mind would want to record Fly Me to the Moon in Old Norse? The elevator doors opened at floor 19. I stepped out and promptly got sideswept by a large animal. It was moving so fast I only registered a blur of tan and black before it turned a corner and was gone. Then I noticed holes in my sneakers where the animal had run over them. Tiny geysers of pain erupted from the tops of my feet. "'Ow,' I said, belatedly. "'Stop that cheetah!' Thomas Jefferson Jr. came charging down the corridor with his bayonet fixed. My other hallmates, Mallory Keene and Halfborn Gunderson, close behind him. They stumbled to a stop in front of me, all three painting and sweating. "'Did you see it?' TJ demanded. "'Where'd it go?' Um, I pointed to the right. Why do we have a cheetah? It wasn't our idea, believe me. TJ shouldered his rifle. As usual, he wore his blue Union Army uniform, his jacket unbuttoned over a green Hotel Valhalla t-shirt. Our new hallmate isn't happy to be here. New hallmate, I said. A cheetah? You mean the soul Sam brought in? A child of Loki. He's a shapeshifter? among other things said half-born gunderson being a berserker he had the physique of a sasquatch and wore only hide breeches runic tattoos swirled across his massive across his massive chest he banged his battle-axe on the floor i almost got my face smashed in by the main freighter. Since moving to Valhalla, I learned an impressive number of Old Norse curse words. Mainfrider translated as something like stink fart, which was naturally the worst kind of fart. Mallory sheathed her two knives. Halfborn, your face couldn't use an occasional smashing. Her brogue got thicker whenever she was angry, with her red hair and flushed cheeks, She could have passed for a small fire giant, except fire giants were not as intimidating. I'm more concerned about that demon destroying the hotel. Did you see what he did to X's room? He took over X's old room? And proceeded to tear it up? Mallory made a V with her fingers and flipped them under her chin in the direction Cheetah had fled. Miss Keen was Irish, so her V did not mean peace or victory. It meant something much ruder. We came to welcome him, find the place in the ruins. No respect. I remembered my own first day in Valhalla. I had thrown a sofa across the living room and put my fist through the bathroom wall. Well, adjusting can be tough. TJ shook his head. Not like this. The kid tried to kill us on sight. Some of the stuff he said. First-rate insults. Half-born conceded. "'I'll give him credit for that, "'but I've never seen one person do so much damage. "'Come have a look, Magnus. See for yourself.' "'They led me down to X's old room. "'I'd never been inside, but now the door was wide open. "'The interior looked like it had been redecorated "'by a Category 5 hurricane. "'Holy frig!' "'I stepped over a pile of busted furniture into the foyer.' The layout was a lot like my own suite, four square sections jutting out from a central atrium like a giant plus sign. The foyer foyer had once been sitting had once been a sitting area with a sofa, bookshelves, a TV, and a fireplace. Now it was a disaster zone. Only the fireplace was still intact, and gouge marks scarred the mantle as if our new neighbor had taken a broadsword to it. From what I could see, the old The bedroom, kitchen, and bathroom wings had been similarly destroyed. In a daze, I moved toward the atrium. Just like mine, it had a huge tree in the middle. The lowest branches spread across the apartment ceiling, interweaving with the rafters. The upper branches stretched into a cloudless blue sky. My feet sank into green grass. The breeze from above smelled like mountain laurel, a sort of grape Kool-Aid scent I'd been in several of my friend's rooms, but none of them had an open-air atrium. Yeah. Was it like this for X? I asked. Mallory snorted. Hardly. X's atrium was a big pool, a natural hot spring. Hot spring. A natural, natural hot spring. A natural hot spring. His place was always hot, humid, and sulphurous as a troll's armpit. I miss X. Halfborn sighed, but yes, all this is completely new. Each suite arranges itself to fit its owner's style. I wondered what it meant that my atrium was exactly like the newcomers. I didn't want to share styles with a murderous wildcat son of Loki who ran over people's feet. At the edge of the atrium lay another pile of wreckage. Freestanding shelves had been overturned. The grass was littered with ceramic bowls and cups, some colorfully glazed, other unfired clay, others unfired clay. I knelt and picked up the base of a broken flower pot. You think Cheetah Boy made all these? Yep. TJ gestured with his bayonet. They're kiln and there are kiln and wheel in the kitchen too. Good quality stuff, Halfborn said. The vase he threw at my face was beautiful and deadly, just like Miss Keene here. Mallory's face went from from strawberry red to habanero orange. You're an idiot! idiot. Which was her way of expressing affection for her boyfriend. I turned over the shard. On the base, the initials AF were etched into the clay. I did not want to speculate what they might stand for. Under the initials was a decorative stamp, two snakes curled into an elaborate S-pattern. Their tails looped around each other's heads. My fingertips felt numb. I dropped the shard and picked up another broken pot. Same initials on the bottom, same serpentine stamp. It's a symbol of Loki, hambard, off, half-born offered, flexibility, change, slipperiness. My ears buzzed. I'd seen the symbol before, recently, in my own room. How how do you know? half puffed-out his already puffed-out chest. As I've told you, I've spent many... I've spent my time well in Valhalla. I have a PhD in Germanic literature. Which he only mentions several times a day, Mallory added. Hey, guys, TJ called from the bedroom. He spread his bayonet into a pile of clothing and held up a dark green sleeveless silk dress. Bosh, Mallory said, that's Estella McCartney. Halfborn frowned. How can you be sure? I've spent my will. I've spent my time well in Valhalla. Mallory did a decent intimidation of Halfborn's garth voice. I have a Ph.D. in fashion. Oh, shut up, woman! Halfborn muttered. And look at this. T.J. held up a tuxedo jacket, also dark green with pink lapels. I'll admit my brain was fuzzy. All I could think about was the symbol of Loki on the pottery, and where I'd seen the snake design before. The whirlwind of clothes in this room didn't make sense to me. Jeans, skirts, jackets, ties, and party gowns, most in shades of pink and green. How many people live here, I asked. Does he have a sister? Halfborn snorted. TJ, should you explain, or should I? The sound of rams horn echoed down the corridor. Corridor. Lunchtime, TJ announced. We can talk then. My friends headed for the door. I, am- I remained crouched over the piles of pottery shards, staring at the initials AF and the entwined serpent- serpents. "Magnus," TJ called. "You coming?" My appetite was gone. So was any desire to take a nap. Adrenaline screamed through my system like a high note on an electrical de- electric guitar. You guys go ahead. My fingers cloed around the broken pot with the symbol of Loki. There's something I need to check first. Chapter Five: My sword has a better social life than I do. It's a good thing I didn't go to lunch. The buffet was usually fought to the death, and as distracted as I, as I felt, I would have gotten impaled by a fondue fork before I filled my plate. Most activities in Valhalla were done to the death. Scrabble, whitewater rafting, pancake eating, croquet. Tip, don't ever play Viking croquet. I got to my room and took a few deep breaths. I was half expected to place to be as stretched as AF's room like maybe the suites were so familiar mine would decide to mess itself up in solidarity instead it was just the way i'd left it only cleaner i'd never seen the housekeeping staff somehow they don't they always managed to tidy up when i was gone they made the bath they made the bed whether i'd slept in it or not they scrubbed the bathroom even if i'd just done that myself they'd pressed and folded my laundry though I was careful never to leave my clothes lying around. Seriously, who irons and starches underwear? I felt guilty enough having this huge suite to myself. The idea of housekeepers picking up after me only made it worse. My mom had raised me to take care of my own messes. Still, as much as I tried to do that here, the hotel staff swooped in daily and sanitized everything without mercy. The other thing they did was leave me presents. That bothered me more than the starched underwear. I made my way over to the fireplace. When I first checked in, there had only been one photo on the mantle, a shot of my mom and me when I was eight, standing at the summit of Washington. Since then, more pictures had appeared, some that I remembered from childhood, some that I had never seen before. I didn't know where the hotel staff found them, Maybe as the suite became more attuned to me, the photos just emerged from the cosmos. Maybe Valhalla kept a backup coffee copy, copy of every and life on the iCloud. In one shot, my cousin Annabeth stood on the hill, the Golden Gate Bridge and San Francisco in the background. Her blonde hair blew sideways. Her eyes her grey eyes gleamed as if somebody had just told her a joke. Looking at her made me happy, because she was family. It also made me anxious because it was a constant reminder of our last conversation. According to Annabeth, our family, the Chases, had some sort of special appeal to the ancient gods. Maybe it was our winning personalities. Maybe it was our brand of shampoo. Annabeth's mom, the Greek goddess Athena, had fallen in love with her dad, Frederick. My dad, Frey, had fallen in love with my mother, Natalie. If someone came up to me tomorrow and told me, Surprise! The Aztec gods were alive and well in Houston, and my second cousin was the granddaughter of Quetzalcoatl, I would totally believe them. Then I would run screaming off a cliff into Gwinnengwap. Gwinnengwap. The way Annabeth figured it, all the old myths were true. They fed off human memory and beliefs. Dozen of musty pantheons still muscling up against one another like they did in the old days. As long as their stories survived, the gods survived. And stories were almost impossible to kill. Annabeth had promised we would talk about it further. So far, we hadn't had the chance. Before she returned to Manhattan, she'd warned me that she rarely used a cell phone because they were dangerous for demigods, though I had never noticed any problems. I tried not to worry that she'd been totally silent since January. Still, I wondered what might be going on down there in the Greek and Roman land. My hand drifted across the mantle to the next photo. This one was harder to look at. My mother and her two brothers, all in their twenties, sat together on the steps of the family brownstone. Mom looked just as I always remembered her. Pixie haircut, infectious smile, freckles, tattered jeans, and a flannel shirt. If you, could, if you could have hooked up a generator to her joy of life, you could have powered the entire city of Boston. Sitting next to her was my Uncle Frederick, Annabeth's father. He wore a, bi- a too-big cardigan over an Oxford shirt and beige slacks riding halfway up his calves. He held a Model, war, wa- model, model World War I biplane in one hand and grinned like a huge dork. On the top step behind them, with his hands planted on his sibling's shoulders, sat their big brother, Randolph. He looked about twenty-five, though he was one of those people who was born to be old. His close-cropped hair was so blond it passed for grey. His large round face and burly frame made him resemble a club bouncer more than an Ivy League grad student. Despite the smile, his eyes were piercing, his posture guarded. He looked as if any second he would charge the photographer, take the camera, and stomp on it. My mom had told me over and over, don't go to Randolph, don't trust him. She'd shunned him from years, refused to take me to the family mansion in Back Bay. When i turned 16, Randolph had found me anyways. He had told, he'd told me about my godly father. He'd guided me to the Sword of Summer and promptly gotten me killed. That made me a little wary of seeing good old Uncle Randolph again, though Annabeth thought we should give him the benefit of doubt. "'He's family, Magnus,' she told me before she left for New York. "'We can't give up on family. "'Part of me supposed she was right. "'Part of me thought Randolph was a dangerous piece of work. "'I didn't trust him farther than I could throw him, "'and even with an hairy strength, I couldn't throw him very far.'" Gee, Magnus, you might be thinking, that's really harsh of you. He's your uncle. Just because your mom hated him, he ignored you most of your life, and then he got you killed, you don't trust him? Yeah, I know. I was being unreasonable. The thing is, what bothered me most about Uncle Randolph wasn't our past. It was the way the photo of the three siblings had changed since the last week. At some point, I don't not get how, a new mark had appeared on Randolph's cheek. A symbol as faint as a water stain. And now I knew what it meant. I held up the pot I'd taken from AF's room. The initials etched into the clay. The stamp with the two entwined snakes. Definitely the same design. Somebody had branded my uncle's face with the mark of Loki. I stared at at the snake mark for a long time, trying to make sense of it. I wish I could talk to Hearthstone, my expert on runes and symbols. Or Billetson, who knew about magic items. I wish Sam were here, because if I was going crazy and seeing things, she would be the first to slap some sense into me. Since I didn't have any of them to talk to, I pulled out my pendant and summoned Jack. Hey, senor! Jack somersaulted through the air, his runes glowing blue and red. Nothing like a little disco lighting when you want to have a serious conversation. Glad you woke me up. I have this date. I have a date this afternoon with a hot spear. And have I missed that? Oh man, I would stab myself. Jack, I said. I'd rather not hear about your dates with other magical weapons. Come on, you need to get out more. If you want to be my wingman, I could totally set you up. This spear is a friend, Jack. Fine. He sighed which caused his blade to glow a lovely shade of indigo. No doubt the Lady Spears found that very attractive. "'So what's up? No more ninjas to fight, I hope?' I showed him the serpent mark on the piece of pottery. "'You know anything about this symbol?' Jack floated closer. "'Yeah, sure. That's one of Loki's marks. I don't have a PhD in Germanic literature or anything, but I think it represents, you know, snakiness.' I started to wonder if summoning Jack could have been a good idea. So our new neighbor across the hall makes pottery, and every pot has this on the bottom. Huh, And would guess he's the son of Loki. I know that, but why would he brag about it? Sam doesn't even like to mention her dad. This guy stamps Loki's symbol on all his work. No accounting for taste, Jack said. Once I met a throwing dagger with a green acrylic grip. Can you imagine? I picked up the photo of the three Chase siblings. But sometime during the last week, that same Loki symbol appeared on my uncle's face. Any thoughts? Jack planted the tip of his blade in the living room carpet. He bent forward until his hilt was an inch from the photo. Maybe he was getting nearsighted. Near-hilted? Hmm, he said. You want my opinion? Yeah. I think that's pretty strange. I waited for more. Jack did not elaborate. "'Okay, then,' I said. "'You don't think maybe there's a connection between, I don't know, another child of Loki showing up in Valhalla and this weird mark on Randolph's face, and the fact that suddenly, after a couple months of quiet, we have to find Thor's hammer right away to avoid some invasion?' "'When you put it like that,' Jack said. "'You're right. It's very strange.' But Loki is always showing up in weird places. And Thor's hammer? Jack vibrated in place like he was either shuddering or suppressing a laugh. Mjolnir is always getting misplaced. I swear, Thor needs to have that hammer duct taped to his face. I doubted I would be getting that image out of my head anytime soon. How can Thor lose it so quickly? How could anyone steal it? I thought Mjolnir was so heavy nobody else could pick it up common misconception jack said forget all that only the worthy can lift it up from the movies the hammer is heavy but you get enough giants together sure they can lift it now wielding it throwing it correctly catching it again summoning lightning with it that takes some skill but i've lost count of the number of times thor has fallen asleep in some forest Prankster giants have rolled up in a backhoe loader, and the next thing you know the gunder the Thunderhod The Thunder God is hammerless. Most of the time he gets it back quickly, kills the pranksters, and lives happily ever after. But not this time. Jack wobbled back and forth, his version of a shrug. I suppose getting Mjolnir back is important. The hammer is powerful, inspires fear in the giants, smashes entire armies, keeps the forces of evil from destroying the universe and whatever. Personally, I've always found him kind of a bore. He just sits there most of the time, doesn't say a word, and don't ever invite him to karaoke night at the nuclear rainbow, disaster. I completely had to carry both parts on Love Never Felt So Good. I wondered if Jack's blade was sharp enough to cut off the too much information he was giving me. I guess not. Last question, I said. Halfborn mentioned that this new child of Loki was an Arger. You have an idea? I love Argers! Jack somersaulted with with glee, nearly slicing off my nose. Frey's fripperies! We have an Arger across the hall? That's great news! Um, so, one time we, when we were in Midgard, me and Frey had a couple of elves, right? It was like three in the morning, and this arger walked up to us. Jack howled with laughter, his runes pulsing in full Saturday night fever mode. Oh, wow, that was an epic night. But what exactly? Someone knocked on my door. TJ poked his head in. Magnus, sorry to bother. Oh, hey, Jack, what's up? TJ, Jack said. You recover from last night? TJ shuck- chuckled, though he looked embarrassed. Just about. I frowned. You guys went partying last night? Oh, senor, senor, Jack chided. You really need to come out with us. You haven't lived until you've gone clubbing with a Civil War bayonet. TJ cleared his throat. So, anyway, I came to get you, Magnus. The battle's about to start. I looked around for a clock, then remembered I didn't have one isn't it early? It's Thursday, TJ reminded me. I cursed. Thursdays were special and complicated. I hated them. Let me grab my gear. Also, TJ said, the Hotel Ravens have tracked down our new homemate. I thought we should probably go be with him. They're bringing him to the battle, whether he wants to be there or not. Chapter Six Love me some weasel soup. Thursday meant dragons, which meant an even more painful death than usual. I would have brought Jack, but one, he thought practice battles were beneath him, and two, he had a hot date with a polearm. By the time TJ and I arrived at the battlefield, the fighting had already started. Armies streamed into the hotel's interior courtyard a topographical killing zone big enough to be its own sovereign country with woods, meadows, rivers, hills, and mock villages. On all four sides, soaring into the hazy white fluorescent sky, tiers of gold-rimmed balconies overlooked the field. From the upper levels, catapults hurled fiery projectiles toward the warriors below like a deadly ticker tape. The blare of horns echoed through the forest, Plumes of smoke rose from burning huts, and Harriar charged into the river, fighting on horseback, laughing as they cut each other down. And because it was Thursday, a dozen large dragons had also joined the slaughter. The older and Harriar called them lindworms. If you ask me, that made them sound like a mildly annoying skin rash. Instead, lindworms were the size and length of 18 wheelers. They had just two front legs with leathery brown bat-type wings too small for an inefe- for effective flight mostly they dragged themselves across the ground occasionally flapping leaping and swooping down on their prey from a distance with their brown green and ochre hides they looked like an angry flock of giant carnivorous turkey snakes but trust me up close they were bad news our goal for thursday's battle stay alive as long as possible while the dragons tried very hard not to let us Spoiler, the dragons always won. Mallory and Halfborn waited for us at the edge of the field. Halfborn was adjusting the straps on Mallory's armor. You're doing it wrong, she growled. That's too tight across the shoulders. Woman, I've been putting on armor for centuries. When? You always go into battle bare-chested. Are you complaining about that? Halfborn asked. Mallory blushed. Shut up. "'Ah, look, here is Magnus and TJ,' half clapped me on the shoulder, dislocating several of my joints. "'Floor 19 is accounted for.' "'Technically, that wasn't true. "'Floor 19 had almost a 100 residents, but our particular corridor, our neighborhood within the neighborhood, consisted of us four. "'Plus, of course, the newest resident.' "'Where's the cheetah?' TJ asked. "'As if on cue, a raven dive-bombed us.' It dropped a burlap bag at my feet, then landed nearby, flapping its wings and croaking angrily. The burlap bag moved. A long, skinny animal squirmed out of it. A brown and white weasel. The weasel hissed. The raven cawed. I didn't speak raven, but I was pretty sure it was telling the weasel, behave yourself or I will peck your weasley eyes out. TJ pointed his rifle at the animal. You know, when the fifty-fourth Massachusetts was marching toward Darien, Georgia, we used to shoot weasels and cook them into shoot- soup—tasty stuff. You guys think I should get out my old recipe? The weasel transformed. I'd heard so much about this new recruit being a monster that I half expected to turn it, ter- expected him to turn into a living corpse like the goddess Hell, or a miniature version of the sea serpent Jormungand. Instead, the animal grew into regular human teen long and lanky, with a swirl of dyed green hair, black at the roots, like a plug of weeds pulled out of a lawn. The weasel's brown and white fur changed into green and pink clothes, batted rose high tops, skinny lime green corduroy pants, a pink and green argyle sweater vest over a white tee, and another pink cashmere sweater wrapped around the waist like a kilt. The outfit reminded me of a jester's motley, or the coloration of a venomous animal warning the whole country, warning the whole world, try me and you die. The newcomer looked up, and I forgot how to breathe. It was Loki's face, except younger, the same wry smile and sharp features, the same unearthly beauty, but without the scarred lips or the acid burns across the nose. And those eyes, one dark brown, the other pale amber. I'd forgotten the term for that having different colored irises. My mom would have called it David Bowie eyes. I called it completely unnerving. The weirdest thing of all? I was pretty sure I had seen this kid before. Yeah, I know. You're thinking a kid like that would stand out. How could I not remember exactly where we'd crossed paths? But when you live on the streets, wild-looking people are normal. Only normal people stand out as strange. The kid flashed a perfect white smile at TJ, though there was no warmth in those eyes. Point that rifle somewhere else, or I will wrap it around your neck like a bow tie. Something told me this was not an idle threat. The kid might actually know how to tie a bow tie, which was kind of scary arcane knowledge. TJ laughed. He also lowered his rifle. We didn't get a chance to introduce ourselves earlier when you were trying to kill us. I'm Thomas Jefferson Jr. This is Mallory Keen, half Gunderson, and Magnus Chase. The newcomer just stared at us. Finally, the raven made an irritated squawk. Yeah, yeah, the kid told the bird. Like I said, I'm calmer now. You didn't need to mess, you didn't need mess me up. So it's all cool. Screech! The kid sighed. "'Fine, I'll introduce myself. I'm Alex Fierro. Pleased to meet you all, I guess. "'Mr. Raven, you can go now. I promise not to kill them unless I have to.' "'The Raven shuffled his feathers. He gave me the stink eye, like, "'It's your problem now, buddy.' Then he flew away. "'Halfborn grinned. Well, that's settled. Now that you've promised not to kill us, "'let's start killing other people.' "'Mallory crossed her arms. He doesn't even have a weapon.' "She," Alex corrected. "What?" Mallory asked. "Call me she unless and until I tell you otherwise." "But she it is," TJ interceded. "I mean she. She is," he rubbed his neck as if still worrying about the ri- about a rifle bow tie. "Let's get to battle." Alex rose to her feet. "I'll admit I was staring. Suddenly my whole perspective had flipped inside out." "'Like when you're looking... when you look at an inkblot picture and you see just the black part. "'Then your brain inverts the image and you realize the white white part makes an entirely different picture, "'even though nothing has changed. "'That was Alex Fierro, except in pink and green. "'A second ago, he had very... he had been very obviously a boy to me. "'Now, she was very obviously a girl.' "'What?' she demanded. "'Nothing. I lied.' Above us, more ravens began to circle, cawing accusingly. We'd better get moving, Halfborn said. The ravens don't like slackers on the battlefield. Mallory drew her knives and turned toward Alex. Come on then, sweetheart. Let's see what you can do. Chapter 7 Have you or someone you love ever suffered from lindworms? We waded into combat like one happy family. Well, except for the fact that T.J. grabbed my arm and whispered, Keep an eye on her, will you? I don't want to get mauled from behind. So I brought up the rear with Alex Fiero. We moved inland, picking our way through a field of corpses, all of whom we would see later, alive at dinner time. I could have taken some pretty funny photos, but camera phones were heavily discouraged on the field of combat. You know how it is. Somebody snaps a picture of you dead in an embarrassing pose and makes the popular page on Instagram, then you get teased about it for centuries. Half-Born and Mallory chopped us a path through a pack of berserkers. TJ shot Charlie Flanagan in the head. Charlie thinks it's hilarious to get shot in the head. Don't ask me why. We dodged a volley of fiery tire balls from the balcony catapults. We had a brief sword battle with Big Lou from Floor 401. Great guy, but he always wants to die by decapitation. That's hard, since Lou is almost seven feet tall. He seeks out Halfborn Gunderson on the battlefield, since Halfborn is one of the few in Harry Art tall enough to oblige. Somehow, we made it to the edge of the woods without getting stomped by a linworm. TJ, Mallory, and a half-born fanned out in front and led us into the shadows of the trees. I moved warily through the under underbrush, my shield up, my standard-issue combat sword heavy in my left hand. The sword wasn't nearly as well-balanced or as lethal as Jack, but it was a lot less talkative. Next to me, Alex strolled along, apparently unconcerned that she was empty-handed and the most brightly colored target in our group. After a while, the silence got to me. "'I've seen you before,' I told her. "'Were you at the youth shelter on Winter Street?' She sniffed. "'I hated that place.' "'Yeah, I lived on the streets for two years.' She arched her eyebrows. She arched her eyebrow, which made her amber left eye look paler and colder. "'You think that makes us friends?' Everything about her posture said, get away from me, hate me, or whatever. I don't care as long as you leave me alone. But I'm a contrary person. On the streets, plenty of homeless folk had acted belligerent toward me and pushed me away. They didn't trust anybody. Why should they? That just made me more determined to get to know them. The loners usually had the best stories. They were the most interesting and the savviest about staying alive. Sam Alabas must have had some reason for bringing this kid to Valhalla. I wasn't going to let Fiero off the hook just because she had startling, startling eyes, an impressive sweater vest, and a tendency to hit people. "'What did you mean earlier?' I asked. "'When you said, "'Call me she?' "'I'm gender-fluid and transgender, idiot. "'Look it up if you need to. "'But it's not my job to educate. "'That's not what I meant.' "'Oh, please. I saw your mouth hanging open.' Well, yeah, maybe for a second I was surprised, but I wasn't sure how to continue without sounding like even more of an idiot. The gender thing wasn't what surprised me. A huge percentage of the homeless teens I'd met had been assigned one gender at birth but identified as another, or they felt like the whole boy-girl binary didn't apply to them. They ended up on the streets because, shocker, their families didn't accept them. Nothing says tough love like kicking your non-heteronormative kid to the curb so they can experience abuse, drugs, high suicide rates, and constant physical danger. Thanks, Mom and Dad. What surprised me was the way I'd reacted to Alex, how fast my impression of her had slingshot, and the kind of emotions that had stirred up. I wasn't sure I could put that into words without turning as red as Mallory Keene's hair. What what I was saying... "'Is when you were talking to the raven, you mentioned you were worried you'd been messed up. "'What did you mean?' "'Alex looked like i just offered her a huge wedge of Limburger cheese. "'Maybe I overreacted. "'I wasn't expecting to die today or get scooped up by some Valkyrie. "'That was Sam. She's okay.' "'Alex shook her head. "'I don't forgive her. "'I got here and found out... "'Whatever.' "'I'm de- I'm dead. Immortal. I'll never age and never change.' I-, "'I thought that meant... her voice frayed. "'It doesn't matter. "'I was pretty sure it mattered. "'I wanted to ask her about life back in Midgard. "'Why she had an outdoor air- atrium just like mine in her suite. "'Why all the pottery? "'Why she would want to put the mark of Loki next to her initials on her work. "'I wondered if her arrival was just a coincidence.' or whether it had something to do with the mark on Uncle Randolph's face in the photo and our sudden urgent need to find Thor's hammer. On the other hand, I suspected that if I tried to ask her all that, she would turn into a mountain gorilla and rip my face off. Happily, I was spared that fate when a lindworm crash-landed in front of us. The monster hurtled out of the sky, flapping its ridiculous wings and roaring like a grizzly bear with a hundred-watt amp. With a hundred watt amp, trees cracked and splintered under its weight as it landed on our midst. Oh! Halfborn yelled, which was Old Norse for, holy crud, there's a dragon! Just before the lindworm smacked him into the sky. Judging from the arc, Halfborn Gunderson was going to end up somewhere around floor 29, which would be a surprise to anyone relaxing on their balcony. TJ fired his rifle. Gunsmoke blossomed harmlessly against the dragon's chest. Mallory yelled a curse in Gaelic and charged. The lindworm ignored her and turned toward me. I should mention, lindworms are ugly. Like if Freddy Krueger and a walking dead zombie had a child. That kinda ugly. Their faces have no flesh or hide, just carapace of bone and exposed tendons gleaming fangs, and dark, sunken eye sockets. When the monster opened its maw, I could see straight down its rotten, meat-colored throat. Alex crouched, her hands fumbling for something at her belt. This isn't good. No kidding. My hand was so sweaty I could barely hold my sword. You go right. I'll go left. We'll flank it. No, I mean that this isn't just any dragon. That's Grinwolf, one of the ancient worms. I stared up into the monster's dark eye sockets. He did seem bigger than most of the lindworms I'd fought, but I was usually too busy dying to ask a dragon its age or name. How do you know? I asked. And why would anybody call a dragon Grim Wolf? The lindworm hissed, filling the air with a scent like burning trees. Apparently, he was sensitive about his name. Mallory stabbed at the dragon's legs, screaming more angrily the longer the lindworm ignored her. "'Are you two going to help?' she called back at us. "'Or just stand there there and chat?' TJ stabbed at the monster with his bayonet. The point just bounced off the creature's ribs. Being a good soldier, TJ backed up and tried again. Alex tugged some, some sort of cord from her belt loops, a dull steel wire no thicker than a kite string with simple wooden dowels on either s- either end for handles Grimwolf is one of the dragons that live at the roots of Yggdrasil He shouldn't be here no one would be crazy enough to Her face blanched her expression hardening as if turning into lindworn bone He sent it for me He knows I'm here Who I demanded What "'Distract him,' she ordered. "'She leaped into the nearest tree and began to climb. "'Even without turning into a gorilla, "'she could definitely move like one. "'It took a shaky breath. "'Distract him. "'Sure.' "'The dragon snapped at Alex, "'biting off several tree branches. "'Alex moved fast, "'scampering higher up the trunk, "'but one or two more snaps "'and she'd be a lindworm lunchable.' Meanwhile, Mallory and TJ were still hacking away at the creature's legs and belly, but they were having no luck convincing the dragon to eat them. "'It's only a practice battle,' I told myself. "'Charge in there, Magnus. Get yourself killed like a pro.' That was the whole point of daily combat. To learn to fight any foe, to overcome our fear of death, because on the day of Ragnarok, we'd all need the skill and courage we can muster. So why did I hesitate?' first. I'm way better at healing than I am at fighting. Oh, and running away. I'm really good at that. Also, it's hard to charge straight toward your own, straight to your own demise, even if you know it won't be permanent, especially if that demise involves large amounts of pain. The dragon snapped at Alex again, missing her rose high tops by an inch. As much as I hated dying, I hated even more seeing my comrades get killed. I screamed, "Fray!" and ran at the lindworm. Just my luck. Grimwolf was happy to turn his attention to me. When it comes to drawing aggro from ancient monsters, I've got the golden touch. Mallory stumbled back out of my way, chuckling. One of her, her chucking one of her knives at the dragon's head. T.J. also retreated, yell, yelling, "All yours, buddy!" As far as encouraging words you might hear before an excruciating death go, those sucked pretty bad. I raised my shield and sword like the nice instructors had demonstrated in Viking one o one. The dragon's mouth opened wide, revealing several extra rows of teeth, just in case the outer row of teeth didn't kill me dead enough. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Alex swaying at the top of a tree, a tense bundle of pink and green, ready to spring. I realized what she was planning. She wanted to jump onto the dragon's neck. That was such a stupid plan, it made me feel better about my own stupid way of dying. The dragon struck. I jabbed my sword upward, hoping to impale the monster's upper palate. Instead, a sudden pain blinded me. My face felt like it had been doused with industrial cleaning fluid. My knees buckled, which probably saved my life. The dragon bit empty air where my head had been a millisecond before. Somewhere to my left, Mallory screamed, Get up, you fool! I tried to blink the pain away. It only got worse. My nostrils filled with the stench of burning flesh. Grimwolf recovered his balance, snarling with irritation. Inside my head, a familiar voice said, "'Come now, my friend. Don't struggle.' My vision doubled. I could still see the forest, the dragging, looming over me, a small pink and green figure leaping toward the monster from the top of a tree. But there was another layer to reality. A gauzy, white scene trying to burn its way through my corneas. I knelt in Uncle Randolph's study, in the Chase family mansion in Back Bay. Standing over me was someone much worse than a lindworm. Loki, the god of evil. He grinned down at me. There we are. How nice. At the same time, the dragon grimwolf struck again, opening his maw to devour me whole. Chapter 8. I am saved from certain death by being killed. I'd never existed in two places at once before. I decided I didn't like it. Through the pain, I was dimly aware of the fight in the forest. Grimwolf was about to bite me in half when suddenly his head bucked upward. Now Alex was straddling his neck. Pulling her cords so tight around the dragon's throat that he thrashed and stuck out his forked black tongue. TJ and Mallory rushed in front of me, acting as a shield. They yelled at Grimwolf, waving their weapons and trying to herd him back. I wanted to help them. I wanted to get to my feet or at least roll out of the way. But I was paralyzed, on my knees, trapped between Valhalla and my Uncle Ralph's- Randolph's study. I told you, Randolph! Loki's voice dragged me further into the vision. See, blood is thicker than water. We have a solid connection. The hazy white scene resolved into full color. I knelt on the oriental carpet in front of Randolph's desk, sweating in a square of sunlight that was tinted green from the stained glass transom. The room smelled of lemon wood polish and burning meat, I was pretty sure the second odor was coming from my face. In front of me stood Loki, his tuzzled tuzzled hair the color of fall foliage, his delicately sculpted face marred by acid burns across his nose and cheekbones and suture scars around around his lips. He grinned and spread his arms in delight. "'What do you think of my outfit?' He was wearing an emerald green tuxedo with a frilly maroon shirt." A paisley bow tie and a m- matching cummerbund. If anything about the ensemble could be said to be matching, a price tag dangled from his left coat sleeve. I couldn't speak, I couldn't throw up as much as I wanted to, I couldn't even offer him a free consultation at Blitzen's best. No? Loki's expression soured. I told you, Randolph, you should have bought me the you should have bought me the canary yellow one too. A strangled sound came from my throat Magnus, said Uncle Randolph's voice, don't listen. Loki extended his hand, the ends of his fingers smoking. He didn't touch me, but the pain across my fan tripled, as though someone were branding me with an iron. I wanted to collapse to beg Loki to stop, but I couldn't move. I realized I was seeing everything through my uncle's eyes. I was inhabiting his body, feeling what he was experiencing. Loki was using Randolph as some sort of agony operated telephone to contact me. The pain eased the pain eased, but Randolph's extra weight enveloped me like a lead wetsuit. My lungs rattled, my worn-out knees ached. I didn't like being an old man. Now, now, Randolph, Loki chided. Behave yourself. Magnus, I apologize about your uncle. Where was I? Oh, yes, your invitation. Meanwhile, in Valhalla, I remained paralyzed on the battlefield while the dragon Grimwolf staggered around, knocking down entire swathes of forest One of the lindworms' feet caught Mallory Keane, stomping her flat. TJ yelled and waved pieces of his now-broken rifle, trying to draw the monster's attention. Somehow, Alex Fierro managed to stay on the dragon's neck, tightening her cord as Grimwolf whipped back and forth. "'A wedding!' Loki announced cheerfully. He held up a green invitation, then folded it and tucked it into Randolph's shirt pocket. Five days from today!' "'I apologize for the short notice, but I hope you can come, "'especially since it's up to you to bring the bride and the bride price. "'Otherwise, well, war, invasion, Ragnarok, etc. The wedding will be much more fun. "'Now, let's see. "'How much has Sari- Samira told you?' "'My skull constricted until it felt like my brain would come out of my sinus cavity.' A ragged scream escaped my lips, but I wasn't sure if it was mine or Uncle Randolph's. TJ ran to my side. From the dragon's neck, Alex yelled, What's wrong with Magnus? TJ ran to my side. I don't know. His head is smoking. That's bad, right? TJ, grab his sword. Alex pulled her cord tighter, causing black blood to trickle down the dragon's neck. "'Get ready!' "'Oh, dear,' Loki tapped me slash Randolph on the nose. "'The pressure in my head subsided from blackout misery to moderate torture. "'Samira hasn't shared. "'The poor thing is embarrassed, I suppose. "'I understand. "'It's difficult for me to— "'It's difficult for me, too, giving away my favorite daughter. "'They grow up so quickly.' I tried to speak. I wanted to say, "'Go away! You suck! Get out of my head and leave Samira alone!' It came out as, "'Gah!' "'No need to thank me,' Loki said. "'Neither one of us wants Ragnarok to start just yet, eh? "'And I'm the only one who can help you. "'It wasn't an easy negotiation, but I can be very persuasive.' the hammer in exchange for the bride. A one-time offer. I'll tell you more when you secure the bride price. Now, Alex yelled. She pulled her wire so hard the dragon arched his back, separating the segments of armored hide that protected his belly. TJ charged forward and thrust my practice sword into a soft spot below Grimwolf's heart. TJ rolled aside as the monster came down with his full weight, impaling himself. Alex leaped from the lindworm's neck, her garrot dangling from one hand, slick with blood. Was that Alex, I heard? Loki curled his scarred lip. She's not invited to the wedding. She'll ruin everything. In fact, Loki's eyes gleamed with mischief. Give her a little present for me, will you? My lungs tightened. Even worse than when I was an asthmatic kid. My body began to superheat. I was in so much pain, my organs seemed to be dissolving into molecules. My skin glowing and steaming. Loki was turning my brain to fire. Filling me with flashes of memories that weren't mine. Centuries of anger and the need for revenge. I tried to push him out of my head. I tried to breathe. Alex Fierro stood over me, frowning. Her face and Loki's melded together. "'Your friend is going to explode,' Alex said, as if this were a perfectly normal thing that happened to people. TJ wiped his brow. "'What exactly do you mean, explode?' "'I mean, Loki is channeling power through him,' Alex said. "'It's too much. Magnus will blow up, destroying most of this courtyard.' I gritted my teeth. I managed one word. "'Run!' "'It won't help,' Alex told me. "'Don't worry. I've got a solution.' She stepped forward and calmly wrapped her metal wire around my neck. I managed another word. "'Wait. It's the only way to get him out of your head.' Alex's brown and amber eyes were impossible to read. She winked at me. Or maybe that was Loki, his face glowing hazily just under Alex's skin." See you soon, Magnus, said the god. Alex yanked both ends of her garrote and stuffed out my life. Chapter 9 Never Take a Bubble Bath with a Decapitated God Someone please explain to me why I have to dream when I am dead. There I was, floating in the darkness of non-existence, minding my own business, trying to get over the fact that I'd just been decapitated. Then I got dropped into these weird, vivid nightmares. Really annoying. I found myself on a 30-foot yacht in the middle of a storm. The deck heaved. Waves crashed over the bow. Sheets of grey rain slammed into the wheelhouse windows. In the captain's chair sat Uncle Randolph, one hand clenching the wheel, the other strangling his radio handset. His yellow raincoat dripped puddles around his feet. His close shaved head glistened with salt water. In front of him, the control board's monitors showed nothing but static. Mayday! he yelled into the handset like it was a stubborn dog refusing to do a trick. Mayday! Curse you! Mayday! On On the bench behind him, a woman and two young girls held together. I'd never known them in life, but I recognized them from photographs in Uncle Randolph's office. Perhaps because I had just been inside Randolph's head, I was able to pr- I was able to pull their names from his memories, his wife, Caroline, and his daughters, Aubrey and Emma. Caroline sat in the middle, her dark brown eyes plastered against her face, her arms around her daughter's shoulders. It'll be all right, she told the girls. She glanced at Randolph with a silent accusation. Why have you done this to us? Aubrey, the youngest, had the Chase family's wavy blonde hair. Her head was bowed. Her face set in deep concentration. She held a model of the yacht in her lap, trying to keep the toy level despite the 15-foot swells that rocked the wheelhouse, as if by doing so she could help her father. Emma was not as calm. She looked about ten, with dark hair like her mother's and and sad, weary eyes like her father's. Somehow I knew that she'd been the most excited about this trip. She'd insisted on coming along for Dad's big adventure, his search for a missing Viking sword that would finally prove his theories. Dad would be a hero. Randolph had not been able to refuse her. Now, though, Emma trembled with fear. The faint scent of urine told me that her bladder was not holding up under the stress. With each pitch of the boat, Emma shrieked and clutched a pendant to her chest, a runestone Randolph had given her for her last birthday. I couldn't see the symbol, but somehow I knew what it was. Othala. Inheritance. Randolph saw Emma as his successor, the next great historian archaeologist of the family. I'll bring us home, Randolph's voice cracked with despair. He had been so sure of his plans and confident about the weather, they would make an easy trip from the harbor. He had done extremely thorough research, he knew the sword of summer must lie at the bottom of the Mas- of Massachusetts Bay. He imagined himself making one quick dive. The old gods of Asgard would bless his efforts. He would bring the sword to the surface and lift its blade into the sunlight for the first time in a thousand years. His family would be there to witness his triumph. Yet here they were, caught in a freak tempest, their yacht being thrown about like the toy in Aubrey's lap. The boat rolled to starboard. Emma screamed. A wall of water engulfed me. I surfaced in a different dream. My disembodied head bobbed up and down in, my, in a full bathtub that smelled of strawberry soap and mildewed washcloths. To my right floated a cheery, cheerful rubber ducky with worn away eyes. To my left floated the not so cheerful head of the god Mimir. Seaweed and dead minnows swirled in his beard. Bubble bath foam dripped from his, o- dribbled from his eyes, ears, and nose. I'm telling ya, his voice echoed in the tiled bathroom. You guys gotta go, and not just because I'm your boss. Destiny demands it. He wasn't talking to me. Next to the tub, sitting on a lovely avocado porcelain commode, was my friend Hearthstone. His shoulders slumped, his expression despondent. He wore his usual black leather coat and pants, a starched white shirt, and a polka-dotted scarf that looked like it had been cut from a Twister game mat. His spiky blonde hair was almost as pale as his face. Hearth gesticulated in sign language so quickly and with such annoyance that that I could only catch some of his words. Too dangerous. Death. Protect this idiot. He pointed to Blitzen, who leaned against the sink with his arms crossed. The dwarf was as dapper as always in a walnut-colored three-piece, three-piece suit that matched his skin tone, a bow, tie, a bow tie as black as his beard, and a Frank Sinatra-style hat that somehow pulled the whole look together. We have to go, Blitz insisted. The kid needs us. I wanted to tell them how much I missed them, how much I wanted to see them, but also that they shouldn't risk their lives for me. Unfortunately, when I opened my mouth, the only thing that came out was a goldfish frantly, frantically wiggly, wriggling its way to freedom. My face pitched forward into the bubbles. When I surfaced again, the dream had changed. I was still a disembodied head, but now I was floating in a massive open jar filled with pickles and vinegar. It was difficult to see through the greenish liquid in the curved glass, but I seemed to be on a bar. Neon drink ads glowed on the walls. Huge, hazy shapes sat hunched on the the stools. Laughter and conversation sent ripples through the pickle juice. I didn't spend a lot of time at bars. I didn't spend a lot of time in bars. I certainly didn't spend a lot of time staring at one through a filthy pickle jar. But something about this place seemed familiar. The arrangement of the tables, the diamond-patterned beveled glass window on the opposite wall, even the rack of wine glasses suspended above me like pendant lamps. A new shape moved into my vision, someone even larger than the patrons, and dressed all in white. Get out! Her voice was harsh and ragged, as if she spent her spare time gargling gasoline. All of you, out! I would talk to my brother! With a lot of grumbling, the crowd dispersed. The bar fell silent, except for the sound of a TV somewhere across the room. A sports broadcast. A commentator saying, Oh, would you look at that, Bill? His head came right off. I took that comment personally. At the far end of the bar, someone else moved. A figure so dark and large, I thought it was a shadow. It's my bar. His voice was a deep baritone, huffy and wet, as if a bull walrus could speak English. He would sound like that. Why do you always kick out my friends? Friends? The woman yelled. They are your subjects, Thurm. Not your friends. Start acting like a king. I am, the man said. I'm going to destroy Midgard. Huh. I'll believe that when I see it. If you were, were a real king, you would have used that hammer immediately, rather than hide it away and dither for months about what to do. You certainly wouldn't trade it to that no good. It's an alliance, Thringa. the man bellowed. I doubted this guy Thrym was really a walrus, but I imagined him fl- hopping from flipper to flipper, his whiskers bristling. You don't understand how important this is. I need allies in order to take on the human world once I have married Seri- Samira al-Abbas. Bloop. I didn't mean to, but as soon as I heard Samira's name, I screamed inside my pickle jar, causing a huge bubble to break the surface of the green, greasy green liquid. "What was that?" Thrym demanded. The white shape of Thringa loomed over me. It came from the pickle jar. She said this like it was the title of a horror film. Well, kill it, Thrym yelled. Thringa picked up a barstool and whacked my jar with it, hurling me against the wall and leaving me on the floor in a puddle of pickles, juice, and broken glass. I woke up in my own bed, gasping for air. My hands flew to my neck. Thank Frey, my head was once again attached to my body, my nostrils still burned from the scent of pickles and strawberry bubble bath. I tried to parse what had just happened, which parts were real and which were dreams. The dragon Grimwolf, Alex Fierro in her garot, Loki burning his way inside my head, somehow using Uncle Randolph to get to me, his warning about a wedding in five days, all that had actually happened. Unfortunately, my dreams seemed just as concrete. I'd been with Randolph on his boat the day his family had perished. His memories were now tangled with mine. His anguish sat on my chest like a block of steel. His loss loss of Caroline, Aubrey, and Emma felt as painful to me as the death of my own mother. Worse, in a way, because Randolph had never gotten any kind of closure. He still suffered every hour of every day. The rest of the visions. Hearthstone and Blitz. Blitzen coming to help me. I should have elated, but I remembered Hearthstone's frantic signs. Too dangerous. Death. And then the scene for the pickle jar. What the hell, was that? Those mystery siblings, Thrym and Thringa? I was willing to bet fifty pieces of red gold in a falafel dinner that they were giants. The one named Thrym had Thor's hammer and planned on trading it for... I swallowed back a pickled-flavored bile. For Sam. It's up to you to bring the bride and the bride price, Loki had said. An alliance. A one-time offer. Loki must have been out of his mind. He wanted to help us get Thor's hammer back by marrying off Samira? Why hadn't Sam said anything about this? The poor thing is embarrassed, Loki had said. I remembered the urgency in Sam's voice when we talked at the cafe. The way her fingers had trembled on her coffee cup. No wonder she needed to find the hammer so badly. It wasn't just to save the world from invasion, blah blah blah. We were always saving the world. Sam wanted to prevent this marriage deal. But why would she even think she'd have to honor such stupid trade? Loki had no right to tell her what to do. She was betrothed to a She loved the guy. I would raise an army of Inherjar magic elves and well-dressed dwarves and burn down Jotunheim before I let my before I let them coerce my friend. Whatever the case, I needed to talk to her again and soon. I struggled out of bed. My knees still felt warm and achy like Randolph's though I knew it was only in my head. I limped to my closet, wishing I had my uncle's cane. I got dressed and retrieved my phone from the kitchenette. The screen read 7.02pm. I was late for Vahal's nightly feast. I'd never taken so long to resurrect after dying in battle. Usually I was one of the first ones reborn. I remembered Alex Fierro standing over me, calmly slicing off my head with her garrote. I checked my text I checked my texts. Still nothing from Annabeth. I shouldn't have been surprised, but I kept hoping. I needed my cousin's outside perspective right now, her smarts, her assurance that I could handle all the weirdness. My door blew open. Three ravens flew in. Spiled around my head, then landed in the lowest branch of the atrium tree. They glared at me the only way ravens can do, like I was not worthy of being their roadkill dinner. I know I'm late, I told them. I just woke up. Ka 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 most like trans most likely translation Get moving, stupid Samira would be at the feast. Maybe I could talk to her. I grabbed my neck chain and slipped it over my head. The runestone pendant felt comfortably warm comfortingly warm against my collarbone, as though Jack were trying to reassure me. Or maybe he was just in a good mood after an enjoyable date with a fine spear. Either way, I was glad to have him back. I got the feeling I wouldn't be using a practice sword for the next five days. Things were about to get jackworthy.